It's Tuesday, February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day, and welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Explorer, Simon Erickson. How you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic, Chris. Thank you for having me on the day of love on the show. <laughs> wow, now I feel like we should have flowers in the studio or something like that. Uh, we've got earnings to get to. We're going to follow up on on yesterday's story that we did on restaurant brands because the news continues there, and uh, we're going to share we're going to share some news, some market foolery news at the end of this episode. We've got a little bit of an announcement, but let's start with fourth quarter profits from Discovery Communications, which came in a little higher than expected. When you're looking at media companies, I think it's safe to say that. The thesis for Discovery Communications, as much as anything, is this is a global play. When you look at the footprint, I think if you live in the United States and you have cable, you're familiar with at least some of their networks, Animal Planet, TLC, the Discovery Channel, that sort of thing. But when you look at the global footprint of where Discovery Communications operates, I think that's part of the thesis, isn't it? Absolutely, it is. I think that's probably what... um Investors are looking at for this company right now. Like you said, there's some definitely established uh, channels here in the United States, but we actually saw a decline, slight a slight decline in uh, U.S. subscribers. So the real story here is that international growth. The one that really sticks out for me, Chris, is actually in Europe of all places. Discovery Channel has, uh, I'm sorry, Discovery Communications has Eurosport, which is kind of. Um, broadcasting live events. They've done Wimbledon, they've done Formula One, they've done a variety of other events, typically not soccer because that's expensive, but other live sports in Europe. And they've got the exclusive rights for the Winter Olympics in 2018 to broadcast to nearly 740 million people across Europe. Great, right? Nice, yeah. But the other thing that's really interesting to me too is, you know, there's various ways you can reach people. They're going to, of course, do the free network TV. They're going to do some other pay TV events and stuff like that. But the thing that's interesting to me is the over-the-top offering, the digital streaming that they're going to be doing in the next few years. They're using BamTech's technology to create this, and we know BamTech because Disney is also working with them for live sports here in the U.S. Discovery is using them in Europe, and they're starting to build this out. They had the guy from Direct TV that built out the NFL Sunday ticket. Uh, incredibly successful here in this country. I was going to say, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's a nice thing to have on your resume. The right guy on the right project. And I think that more and more, you and I have talked quite a bit about where the media industry is heading. It's not just that linear free TV anymore, but stuff that you could watch at any time over, over the computer and have it streamed directly to you for a certain price. I want to go back to the first point you hit, which is declining subscribership in the U.S., a nice reminder that for all of the headlines that Disney has gotten over the last 18 months about the falling subscribership of ESPN, this is a nice reminder. You know what? It's not just ESPN. When people are cutting the cord, it's also affecting companies like Discovery Communications. Absolutely. And and subscriber the subscriber number is only one piece of this puzzle. You know, as that continues to evolve over time, you can't just look at that and that's the only thing that you're following as an investor. There's a lot of other things going on too. And let's not forget currency too. I mean, a lot of this is revenue that's generated overseas. When you translate like that back to a strong dollar in U.S. dollars, um, it doesn't look sometimes as strong as it really is out there. Where is this stock in terms of its valuation? This is a good quarter, but I think the declining cable subscriber number might be. A little bit of why we're seeing the stock fall two and a half percent today. That's not a big drop, and this is a stock that was trading near a 52-week high. But 
it's really been in the 20s for a year now and i i'm just wondering if it's if it's pricey if that has anything to do with the drop today or if it's really just all about the cable subscribers well i mean 13 billion dollar valuation for a media company that's that's a smaller media company than the juggernauts but obviously larger than a smaller regional one would would be or anything like that so i still think it's got room to run chris i think that a lot of that over the top and digital streaming stuff really isn't priced into the stock at this point but we still need to continue to continue to see them gain traction on that especially with that eurosport in uh, in europe all right, here's something we haven't talked about in I don't even remember the last time we talked about Bitcoin, but we're going to talk about oh Bitcoin. Oh my. And uh, I feel like if he's if he's listening over in Germany, Matt Copenheffer is smiling if not outright laughing at me because I've I've been bearish on Bitcoin from the start. And over the past year, the price of Bitcoin has quadrupled. It broke the $1,000 mark uh, last week. And it's dipped back down, but you're you're someone like Matt Copenheffer. You're someone who's been pretty bullish on Bitcoin. First, before we dig into the news with Bitcoin, tell me why? Why the bull case for Bitcoin? Because it to me, it just seems like monopoly money. It seems like a made-up currency. And I, I, as I've admitted before, the fact that the Winklevoss twins are involved in this doesn't doesn't help the bull case, in my opinion. Right. So, this is kind of an ethereal discussion here. Chris. Yes. There's, there's a lot of speculation in Bitcoin right now. We don't have any stocks tied to this, but it is a very interesting story. Yes, exactly. We'll get to that. Um, just generally, I think that there's a lot of transactions. My, my personal thesis on Bitcoin, disclaimer, I own one Bitcoin. Have had quite a year. Congratulations! With that. <laughs> That's worked out well for you. Um, but I think there's just a lot of transactional friction in the way that we 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 buy and sell things today. I mean, you think about it. We're kind of built off of a financing infrastructure. You have a bank account that you have a credit card that ties into. You pay your statement at the end of the month, and then you know every step along the way, somebody's taking a small piece of this. Um, but it's the way that we built it out over the last several decades. And if you build um, a, a digital infrastructure correctly, as, as Bitcoin and blockchain is trying to do, uh, you don't need a lot of those steps. It's basically digital cash, where you, I always think about it just you're handing a digital dollar to somebody, and that, that's it. There's no, there's no statements, there's no financing, there's no um, APR at the end of the year, anything like that. But to do that, there's a lot of um, regulators that don't like that because you can do bad things with that. You can't track the person giving you the cash at the end of the day and various other things that's kind of had Bitcoin mm, held back on what its true potential possibly could be. But at the end of the day, you're starting to see more and more transactions using Bitcoin all across the globe, not just in the United States, but in China and Japan and a bunch of different places. And because Bitcoin is going to tap out at 21 million Bitcoins once they're mined, you've got a fixed supply and increasing demand, and that's kind of pushing the value of each one Bitcoin up over the years. So, we've seen this run up over the past 12 months, and you look at the fact that the SEC is considering three separate potential Bitcoin ETFs, considering approval of any one of the three. Let's say one of them gets approved. What kind of run-up are we going to see then? Because if we're seeing this run-up now, and all of a sudden, because this this actually gets me, I don't want to say bullish on Bitcoin, but it gets me slightly less bearish as an investor, because ETFs are a way that a lot of people invest if they're looking to get exposure to something without really having the concentrated upside and therefore downside of a single stock. 
I'm not looking to buy a Bitcoin, but I'm slightly more interested in a Bitcoin ETF. What happens if they actually approve one of these things? Sure. The the on the continuum continuum of uncertainty, it goes down a notch. Okay. Because if the SEC is going to say this is all right to create Bitcoin ETFs, one of the they have till March 11th, I believe, to approve on this. But the people that said no way, this is too early. I, I don't. I have so many questions about this even being possible. Those people will start saying, well, you know, this still sounds speculative to me, but I think that it it's interesting. Now the SEC is behind it. And basically, anything new, almost all of innovation has got a zillion questions when it first gets introduced, that over time, as it grows um, and gets more and more approvals or more and more people behind it, uh, the questions tend to either linger or go away. And I think that that's kind of what you're seeing with Bitcoin. That's what the SEC decision is going to have um, an impact on this. Yesterday, we talked about the latest earnings from Restaurant Brands, which is the parent company of Burger King and Tim Hortons. And after we taped the episode, Restaurant Brands was back in the news, uh, reportedly talking to Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen about a potential acquisition. And as a result of those reports, shares of Popeye's up 14% at one point yesterday. They have since come back down to earth, so they are they are basically flat day to day. This is interesting to me, though, because we were talking about this earlier this morning. It seems like, in the restaurant business anyway, that if you're good at managing one type of restaurant and keeping in the category of quick serve restaurants, if you're good at that, then that's a skill that translates to others. So, without knowing what they were looking to buy Popeyes for, just on the surface of it, assuming they got the right price. I saw that news and I thought, you know what? That could work out well for restaurant brands. Ultimately, they walked away because they didn't want to pay the price. Because it is a, Popeyes is a stock that has done well recently, and as a result of that, it's uh, the company's more expensive. But when you saw that news, I guess the the larger question for me uh, is: when you think about acquisitions, when you just see company X is thinking about acquiring company Y, what goes through your mind? Are you do you have any kind of gut feeling in terms of that makes sense, or I need to see the terms first? What what's the first thing you think of? Yeah, sure. So first of all, uh, to step back, there's definitely different types of acquisitions going on out there. The most speculative, if you will, of acquisitions is technology acquisitions, especially software acquisitions, because things change so quickly. There's a lot of unknowns of you know what's going to happen five years from now. It, it's very difficult to tell. And maybe HP is the poster child of making bad acquisitions, very large $10 billion acquisitions that they write down significantly in a couple of years. If they're not the poster child, <laughs> they're, they're on Mount Rushmore. So many uncertainties for that. But then you've got more predictable businesses like we're talking about here today in the restaurant industry. Um, restaurants are not software companies. They're much more predictable as far as the traffic, as far as the business looks. And so, at that point, um, the acquisition is much more predictable for the acquirer. And if they're larger and can scale the business and be more efficient than, than they were previously, then you can drop a lot more money to the bottom line to your shareholders and to your investors. And I think that that's what, what Restaurant Brands, who is actually um, owned majority ownership by, by 3G Capital in Brazil, um, is after in this. They want the predictable, steady cash flows of a restaurant but they want to be a little more creative, I think, on how they're raising financing 
and taking what I would call non-strategic costs out of this business to drop more down to the bottom line. I don't think this is over in terms of their pursuit of Popeyes. I think that at the right price, and today is clearly not the right price, because this again, this is a stock that's done very well over the last few years. I think if there was some sort of short-term hit that the stock took, I could see restaurant brands going back to them. Um, in the meantime, they clearly seem like they are looking for, you know, Warren Buffett talks about the elephant gun. I don't know that they have an elephant gun because they don't have the amount of cash on hand that Berkshire Hathaway does. But they clearly seem like they are looking to to expand their portfolio. And I'm glad you mentioned Warren Buffett because Berkshire Hathaway is kind of partners with with 3G Capital. They go after and they make big deals like these together, which is kind of interesting because I think that the 3G is clearly a leader in the in the food space and the restaurant space and that's directing a lot of of Warren Buffett the greatest investor we have in the United States capital and they're looking to build an empire here and, and so they've got creative in doing deals in the past I mean if you look at the the acquisition of Tim Hortons people were calling that a tax inversion deal you're avoiding a lot of US based taxes by acquiring and and moving uh, the company to Canada uh, the Popeyes one is going to be interesting because that's based here in the U.S. That's not something you have to worry about in the, in the inversions. But there's a reason that they're looking at for doing this. They have a price in their mind. You see them walking away now as Popeyes stock price has increased significantly over the last four or five months or so. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what they're going after on this one. It's not as obvious to me, but they see something they like. Well, I think it's it's probably just the category. I mean, yes, they're it's a quick serve restaurant, but it's not burgers, it's not coffee and donuts. Chicken, you know, sort of quick serve chicken makes up somewhere in the neighborhood of between I think ten and fifteen percent of quick serve restaurants. So you've and as we were talking about with our man behind the glass, Dan Boyd, beforehand. I mean, yes, you can have KFC. If Jason Moser were here, I'm sure he'd be talking about Bojangles. Give me Popeyes every day. The biscuits. The biscuits and are the great. Honey. The oh, the so good. I mean, it's. I mean, as Chris Rock said, it's too good. <laughs> it's too good. That was that was his comment to Jerry Seinfeld on uh, on Seinfeld's web series that that Popeyes is so good, you actually need one of those memory sticks from the Men in Black movies to erase your memory because otherwise you just go back every single day. Right now, do they do significantly more business today because it's Valentine's Day? I. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I. I, I don't know if uh, if they're doing any sort of big promotion or if. I mean, look, you could do a lot worse for that special someone in your life than right. take them to Popeyes. Uh, Dan, you're a Popeyes fan, aren't you? I am. Yes. Uh, any any chance you're you're going to be thinking Valentine's Day or anything like that? If my girlfriend was amenable to the idea, which I'm sure she's not. I would love to go to Popeye's for Valentine's Day. Let's flip this around. If it was if if she came to you and said, Hey, here's what I'm thinking for Valentine's Day, I'm taking you to Popeye's. I mean, you're you're even more in We'd love. We'd make a short stop uh on the way to Popeye's to a jewelry store so I could buy her an engagement ring. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we wrap up uh, as I mentioned, a uh, little something, and apropos that, that Simon is in the studio uh, for this, because uh, I'm happy to say that next month, we are going back to South by Southwest. So, if you're in the greater Austin, Texas area, or you're going to South by Southwest, uh, drop us an email, marketfoolery at fool.com, or hit us up on Twitter, because 
Uh, Simon, Dylan Lewis, uh, who you may know from the Industry Focus podcast, uh, Dan Boyd and I will be going. Uh, we're going to be recording from the podcast center, the brand new podcast center that they've got at South by Southwest. Uh, excited to check that out. Uh, Simon, I know that you have only begun to look at, I mean, we're going to be doing a whole week's worth of market foolery there, but there are also breakout sessions, there are keynote speakers that you're going to be checking out. Do you have an early sense of What's going to be on your agenda? Absolutely, Chris. This is one of my favorite events in the entire year. It just has got such a window to what the future is going to bring in, especially in the tech world. Uh, Kimball Musk will be speaking about trust. I saw that on the agenda. I saw Ray Kurzweil is going to be talking about collaboration. And two topics that I'm very personally interested in uh, is connected health and the future of wearable technologies. So those are both going to be tracks at South by Southwest in Austin. I'm super stoked about the event. And I should say, just as we did last year, um, we're going to try and put together uh, a little meet and greet. Uh, so stay tuned for more details on that. But we did that last year. We went to Guero's. That was the name of the place. Guero's Taco Bar. Guero's Taco Bar. A bunch of listeners came out. A bunch of Motley Fool members. It was a great time. And so we're we're looking to do that again. Uh, in terms of dates, we're looking broadly at March 11th through the 15th. So again. If you're going to South by Southwest, if you're in the Austin area, we would love to see you. Some more details to come. Uh, Dan Boyd, uh, are there food trucks on your agenda that you're looking to hit? Absolutely. Uh, Keith's Barbecue is the main one. They operate out of an old school bus, and I think I ate there every single day <laughs> last year in Austin because it was amazing. All right, Simon Erickson, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, no buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Burger King Uh-oh. has a Valentine's Day promotion that they are only doing in Israel. It is an adult Happy Meal after 6 p.m. If you are over 18, you can buy a Happy Meal, and your Happy Meal at Burger King comes with? No. Sex toys. No. I, am, I can't wait for you guys to explore this on the podcast. <laughs> I don't, you see, that's, that's why I brought it up.